Well, Dave, if you'd come up, you need to get wired. <laughs> We're tired of you just being a wallflower. All right, there you go. Well, one, one more night. We have the privilege to benefit from the blessing of Dave's uh, fruitful ministry, and I'm very thankful for his ministry. As I said when I first introduced him, I first learned about him when I read his book, The Jesus Crisis, and then when things came out in the previous, uh, last, rather, in the last few years, you okay? Okay. Is that turned on? Or the screen's turned on? You have to, yeah, that has to come on for it. It'll show up there. Okay, so <clears throat> I think he's done a tremendous job. I've gotten a lot of positive uh, response. Uh, you have responded well to his message, and so I look forward to what he has to say and to cover tonight. And I think I'm stretching this out. There we go. Okay, so we're good. It's all yours. You have the con. Um, he had no idea of how crazy I was. Please don't hold it to his account, as Jesus said about the two soldiers. Um, thank you for making us feel at home. Thank you for not holding it against me. Not only am I crazy, but I'm from California. And thank you for not holding it against me. I teach. Um, I do appreciate that. Uh, they don't claim me, so just don't worry about it, man. Uh, I'm censored there more than you can imagine because of what I do. So I appreciate it. Um, we're halfway through. <laughs> no exaggeration, which means that uh, uh, Danny's going to pass out Dramamine from American Airlines. It's free. So, uh-oh. Now... Am I not wired? Well, you are. I can't. The document is now saying I need to have a recovery. <laughs> no, honest. I got to figure out what's going on. Oh, sorry. See. I don't know. It's now missing. Uh, it go. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. What in the wide world? PowerPoint is not responding. Ah, okay. Um, let me get... See what happens when you teach theology for all these years. It eventually does you in. Let me find out where I'm supposed to be. Okay, we got through there. We left off at Bob Gundry, didn't we? All right, we're going to skip him because he's old news in some senses, but he's back. As soon as it loads up, I apologize. I feel like the movie Rocky... You know, remember when he was... The Russian and Rocky, and the, and the Russian said to him, I must break you. And I said, I kind of, let me get going here. Um, I, gotta, I got to get through to the point where I was. Uh, hang on. Okay, great, great. Boom. Okay. Okay, we did that. Well, let me find the word. Let me, let me uh, search. It's always in the last night when I need the time. <laughs> Here we go. All right. There we go. I found him. All right. All right. We're halfway through, so I've got one hour. Take your drama me now. It'll work in by the time we're done. All right. Remember Bob Gundry? He was, listen, he is one of the top, and I mean this, I've learned a lot from him. I've read what he did, and I feel bad that at uh, some points uh, he got into midrash and began to say that, you know, here's what he began to advocate in his Matthew commentary, that Matthew was aware of Luke. And Luke has a story of Jesus being dedicated as a baby. Do you remember this? And there 
they take Jesus' parents had to give a poor offering. So what the Jewish people would do, they, if they couldn't afford a lamb, they had this uh, medical coverage, which we have out there. And they would wring the little turtle dove's necks, and that was it because they were poor. And Bob began to, uh, a tremendous scholar, a thousand times smarter than I am, began to advocate that Matthew took that story of the turtle doves and turned it into Herod's slaughtering of the babies in Bethlehem and there was no, that story really didn't happen. It was an allegory. And so eventually they asked him, would you please mind leaving Evangelical Theological Society? And he voluntarily left. He would, but he still says he believes in inerrancy. Now that's what you think. All of the gentlemen that I'm talking about will affirm to you that they believe in inerrancy. That's great. Ask him what they mean by that. So he's back. Here's what he says now, and then I'm going to skip. He says that when he looks at Matthew, Matthew thought that Peter, the apostle and first pope, was an apostate and false disciple. That's what Matthew thought of Peter. And he went through, and he, if we had time, I'd show you the hour lecture. And... What do we do with all other books, including Mark is based on Peter's preaching. If Peter is a, he wrote a whole book on this. That's who they let publish now. That Peter was really in Matthew's position, apostate, but in Mark, Luke, John, and Acts and other places, Peter even was allowed to include two of his books in the New Testament. What do you do with that? But he says that's in line with inerrancy. So I discovered a little secret. Now I told you, and I wrote up a couple articles on this, and I said, well, wait a second, Bob. If Matthew considered Peter to be a false disciple and an apostate, and you say in your gospel that Matthew used Mark, and in your gospel, your commentary, you say that Mark is based in Peter's preaching, why in the wide world would Matthew, who thought Peter was an apostate, use Mark where Mark got his material from Peter. It makes no sense. But I'm not an evangelical critical scholar. You see what I'm saying? If Peter's an apostate in Matthew, but he says that he's a Mark and Prior's Q and all of that, Mark, that Matthew used Mark. But wait a second. You also said that Mark was based in Peter's preaching. Why would Matthew, if he believed that Peter was an apostate, Take Mark who based all of his book in what Peter preached and put it into his book in Matthew. Tell me. I don't know. So we won't deal too much with him. That's essentially what we had there. And he was in the Midrash. We're going to skip him. Take your drama mean. There you go. Okay. So what's going on at ETS? Well, here is an Aussie. Uh, Dr. Bird, Michael Bird, lecturer in theology at Ridley Melbourne College. Tremendous scholar. 10 times, 10 million times smarter than I am. Um, He heard about uh, Gundry and he called for Gundry to be brought back to ETS and accepted back into the fold. And so he said this, they had in, uh, during the time of ETS in 2013, they had an ETS meeting and Mike got up and said, let's, since we're all comfortable now with biblical criticism, Now, that tells you something about ETS. ETS now, I guess, is comfortable with Midrash? Comfortable with Peter as an apostate? Let's invite him back. And, you know, I wasn't there that year, but an eyewitness is a friend of mine who was reporting to me. I have these spies they do not know about. And they all began, or most of the the audience began to applaud. Yeah, let's bring Bob back. How many of you are old enough to remember the Bob Gundry thing? Come on, how many? Huh? I was just... Nine and a half years old when the, no, um, th- they want him back. They were wanting to bring him back after all the midrash right here and all sorts of stuff. You know what I mean? They want him back. What does that tell you about? Now look, ETS are the elite scholars, and they want to bring Bob back. And the applause, my friend said, went off. Let's bring him back. He can sign the. Uh, Doctrinal statement of, of inerrancy. Uh, what shape are we in spiritually? 
This is a, look, we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. That was Paul. Every time Paul was put in a Roman prison and a Roman uh, guard beat him or a uh, synagogue stoned him, here's what he said. It wasn't them. We wrestle not. And the word not is first in that sentence. Not against flesh and blood. We're in a spiritual battle. I want to thank you for being so nice to me. I'm crazy. Uh, if you don't remember the word gizik, you remember this. We're in a spiritual battle like I've never witnessed since I started uh, in seminary. I've never seen anything like this where everything everywhere is going down. What is going to be the impact? Now, I've got to introduce you to a word, egregious. This was a term that I want you to know because there's two words for egregious. Outstandingly bad and shocking. And the other word is what it literally means from mid-16th century English means outstanding in someone's field. Well, this is what the next scholar said about me in his book. I am egregious. Now, he wants the first definition that I am shockingly bad, terrible. But I want the mid-16th century I'm outstanding in my field. Good luck that he'll give me that. But I'll do like Elijah did. We invited all the people up to Mount Carmel and then he told jokes for five hours and if Baal be God, he said, let him consume the fire and he had fun. So I'm egregious. I accept it. Next scholar. Craig Blomberg, distinguished professor. I'm an extinguished professor at my seminary, as I tell you, at Denver. Can we still believe the Bible? Anybody read this? I had a student that read this. I make him read these books for New Testament introduction. The student handed it back to me and said, give this to some other student. I don't want it. So um, we're going to go through this. And I just want to show you that Robert Yarbrough, president of ETS in 2013, Heartily endorse this book. Please remember, I do something that is terrible. I not only give you names, I'll show you the pictures and warn you. And that's why, listen, you've got the most hated New Testament guy, I believe, that's my personal subjective opinion, uh, around among the evangelical groups because I do this kind of things. Yarbrough praised it. Please, you've gotten the download. This book was praised saying, I wish I would have had, Yarborough said, this kind of book, can we still believe the Bible? And it was supposed to be, quote, a defense of the Bible. Well, let me show you what's in there. Now, can we still believe the Bible says this. Now, I want to make clear, which I always have, but I want to make sure you understand, that what I'm about to say is not Dr. Blomberg's perhaps personal position, but he believes all of this can be squared somehow with inerrancy. Now, so here's what I want you to understand. Let me pick this up so I don't hang myself before this is over. I'm hanging myself, believe me. But anyway, literally, these positions are not necessarily his positions at all, but he believes they can be squared with inerrancy and he doesn't personally hold to them but they can be squared with inerrancy. So you get this. See these positions? I don't necessarily hold to them. But I still believe we should welcome people that have these views. Come on into the seminary, and you fundamentalists that wouldn't like these guys, you stop that. So let's look at what he says, that these aren't his personal positions, but that can be squared with inerrancy. Read the book. I Don't believe me. Read the book, Schaefer Seminary Guys. Genesis 1 to 3, not literal, but that could be squared with inerrancy. Adam and Eve are symbols for every man and woman, can be squared with inerrancy. Evolution and progressive creation can be squared with evolution. That Jonah was not historically a person can be squared. Now remember, he doesn't personally hold to these positions, per se. They can be squared with inerrancy. I just want you to know that. Uh, the possibility of three Isaiahs. He doesn't personally hold to that position. Oh, wait, I've gone over that line. Um, 
but they can be squared with inerrancy. When you were in seminary, any of you guys in seminary that believed that three Isaiahs would be squared with inerrancy? How about this? Daniel, uh, uh, as apocalyptic genre rather than prophetic, and that there could have been a post-composition of Daniel's day of two sections of his book. Now, he doesn't necessarily hold to that position, but he thinks it can be squared with inerrancy. When, when I was in seminary, none of those could be. But I'm not a critical evangelical smaller, and they're 10,000 times smarter than I am. I don't know. What's going to do when you teach your guys? It's okay to hold the three Isaiahs. We can square that with inerrancy. It's okay that Genesis 1 through 3 is not literal. We can square that with inerrancy, but I personally don't hold to it. Uh, here's me. I will tell you what I hold to. And let the chips fall where they may. Um, he defends Bob Gundry, although he personally doesn't hold the midrash. It's the Bill Clinton defense, I guess. How dare you talk against Bob Gundry? Um, pseudepigraphy, by the way. He, you know what pseudepigraphy is? Bart Ehrman said all of the New Testament is false ascription to guys like Matthew didn't write Matthew was the false right and all that and by the way a lot of critical evangelical scholars are now saying that it, they didn't Paul didn't write Ephesians you should see the pastorals were not written but it can be squared with inerrancy but I personally don't hold to it and let's welcome the guys that have those positions um so they now call it anonymity. See, when you want to perpetrate something, change the name. Now, that's why I like Bart Ehrman. How many of you have ever heard of Bart Ehrman? You know why I like Bart Ehrman? He's a nice guy. He's like the Germans. What do the Germans say? I don't believe it. But now they've got coming from I. Howard Marshall. Guess where I. Howard Marshall? He's dead now. Where did I. Howard Marshall teach? Do you know? Aberdeen. By the way, did you know I found out that Aberdeen in the early 19th century held to inerrancy <laughs> to drop names. <laughs> I don't do those kind of things. Um, he, uh, Marshall, I. Howard Marshall called it alanimity. What it is is saying that someone wrote Ephesians, used Paul's name 30 years after, and it's still a good book that's authoritative, but I don't personally hold to it, but don't you dare go against those. Let's hire those kind of people because it can be squared with inerrancy. Read the book. Um, he defends Lycona. Here it is. How dare you? Michael's done a good job. And by the way, he was mentioned. I read all those names mentioned, but just in a book came out, I personally don't hold the Lycona's position, but how dare you talk against Lycona. Um, he called on Moeller and Geisler, who said Lycona shouldn't be teaching. Uh, he should not have that view. He told them that uh, Dr. Geisler and Moeller should apologize. Um, by good news, Blomberg says he supports ICBI. And he also says that ICBI doesn't violate or isn't violated by Mike's position. But remember what I showed you last night. You don't dehistoricize the plain normal sense of God's word. Here's what we're dealing with. See that yellow line? I'm on both sides of that yellow line. Oh, I want to keep going. He did say he disagrees with Blumber's position. I praise the Lord for that. Uh, but uh, he defends him. Can we still be the Bible? Um, he says this, the reason why uh, he can do that is you need to pay attention to the literary form. How many of you went to Matthew 27 with me where it says the resurrection of the saints and you said that happened? Well, you just didn't understand. You didn't know the literary form there. You didn't catch the signal. Did you catch the signal? It's the literary form, he says. The whole Bible, I guess, could be symbolic have absolutely everything symbolic. And if you do that, it would have no meaning. But 
it wouldn't violate inerrancy to have everything there as just symbol. So to him, it's the literary form that you must pay attention to. And if you're a grammatical, historical, and you go with the plain normal sense, you're not catching the signal. And by the way, here's what's also developing in my personal opinion, my opinion, editorial comment. And I'm not talking to anyone personally here in this, but we're developing an elite group of scholars, just like the Romanists did, where the priest will tell you what you can and cannot believe. And so we're developing this attitude that we are the elite, critically trained scholars. We know we can catch the signals. You weren't trained where we were. You know, and my dad always told me the reason why somebody's nose is high in the air is that their feet stink so bad. They can... <laughs> but you didn't know the literary form. Good luck. I've looked at Matthew 27 a thousand times since I learned this, and I still can't find I feel stupid. Belief in inerrancy, at least, as defined by the Chicago Statement, does not preclude any interpretive option presented here about Genesis 1 and creation. What is inconsistent with scriptural inerrancy is the claim that there is no God behind creation. Also, you can believe that God put evolution in Genesis 1 to 3, but what is inconsistent with inerrancy is that there was no God. So, Blomberg says, uh, uh, day, age, progressive creation, billions of years, gap theory. Well, because it's the literary framework, all could be squared with inerrancy. So he says in his personal testimony, he believes in an old earth and theistic evolution. It was written by him, why I still am a Christian, on debunkingchristianity.blogspot. Um, I opt for a combination of progressive creation and literary framework approach to Genesis 1. I'm in a, a direction of Kidner's approach, who believed that I guess, if I understand Kidner, God grabbed some monkey running through the jungle, breathed the breath of life into him, and that became Adam. So I don't know. You're, you're, you're a little sober tonight. Is it okay? everything okay? Anyway. <laughs> Nothing in principle should prevent the person who upholds inerrancy from adopting a view that sees Adam, man, or Hawa, Eve, as symbols. None of this theology about Job's suffering requires Job to have ever existed. It, he thinks it's the literary form. Almost nothing is the sake of Job never existed. On Isaiah's unity, ultimately what one decides about the unity of the book of Isaiah's composition formation need not have anything to do with biblical inerrancy. All. You can see three Isaiahs and say you believe in inerrancy. The reason why, I guess, is I'm stupid. I am a really stupid person and I still haven't figured that one out. And I just see they wouldn't have accepted me at Aberdeen, Oxford, Cambridge. Uh, they would have thrown me out. They would have called me an ignorant fundamentalist that was eating too much aspartame and Diet Coke is what they would have said. On the book of Daniel, perhaps two works associated with the prophet Daniel and his successor written at two different times were combined. So Daniel wrote some of it. Somebody else put stuff to it. But my inherent conservatism... My inherent conservatism, I'm just making sure my glasses are working, inclines me, my inherent conservatism, okay, inclines me in the direction of taking it as a genuine predictive prophecy. My conclusion on each topic are not the point of this chapter. Uh, it's the genre. So you know what the word genre means for everybody? I want to be careful how I define my terms. It means the literary style. Don't take it literally. That's a fancy way of saying it's more, don't take it literally, take it more figuratively is what that means. So take it figuratively. The Chicago Statements could have stressed this more. Institutions or organizations that claim to abide by it must allow their inerrant scholars the freedom to explore the various literary options without fear of reprisal. In other words, he doesn't want to lose his job. So let me ask you something. You sit in that class, and I have a guy in my church that sat in Blomberg's class. I've had some interesting stories that he told me. What do you think that'll do to preacher boys? What do you think? You want a preacher in your pulpit that... What do you think that would do to someone's mind to hold some of these things, to believe that they're holding to inerrancy and yet holding to these other things at the same time? What do you think that's going to do? Because one day you're going to be faced with, uh, wherever your church is, of replacing your pastor. Uh, I'm going to skip... This is the God Janus. 
I'm confused. Now, I'm not going to say any more, but the God Janice, you just have to look at that a little bit, and you'll begin to see, I believe in inerrancy. These are not my personal positions, but don't you dare criticize people. who they, You have to recognize the literary form, and I'm too stupid. I apologize. You have a speaker that's too stupid to pick up on the signals. I'm sorry. So what if the Bible is mostly all non-literal genre? It would be in line. It would say nothing. I'm going to go on. So here's what's happening. That's enough of that. Here's what's happening. Every one of these evangelical critical scholars, at least almost everyone, let me not speak too sweepingly, is taking and moving away from grammatical historical and imposing some other magical device to make the text say what it doesn't. They either impose the style is not to be taken literally or that you should, it's God was able to bring it up to Greco-Roman biography. Isn't that great? You serve a God that can bring it up to Thucydides and Plutarch. Well, I serve a God that makes sure that what he said, he guaranteed the accuracy of it. But I'm not a prestigious scholar. I'm a junkyard dog. Anyway, Gundry will use Midrash to explain things away. Walton and Sandy have used speech act theory. All of these are fancy terms for this. Don't take it literally. I'm going to take it the way I want it. I'm confused. What's that going to do to our pulpit? And by the way, do you believe in inerrancy? Blomberg says the reason why Bart Ehrman departed from the faith, read that. This all or nothing approach to scripture where you hold to the, I know you hold to the view of inerrancy that it's true and it's inerrant is profoundly mistaken and deeply dangerous. No historian worth his or her salt function. I personally believe that if errancy means without error, according to what most people in a given culture would have called an error, then the Bible's books are inerrant. But despite having being the touchstone of the largely American organization of ETS, there are countless evangelicals in states and especially other parts of the world who hold that the scriptures are inspired and authoritative, even if not inerrant. And they're not sliding down the slippery slope. I can't help but wonder if inerrantist evangelicals making inerrancy the watershed for so much has not unintentionally contributed to Bart Ehrman's pilgrimage. If you believe that the Bible, the way I know you do, you're to blame because once they find a mistake in the Bible, I haven't found one yet. I found mistakes in a lot of scholars. They depart from the faith because you're too strong, I guess, in your form of inerrancy. So tonight you go home, look in the mirror and say this, shame. What the impact of the pulpit. But I am egregious. I don't believe I'm number one, outstandingly bad and shocking. Well, I think I'm a little shocking. I think you have to get used to me. I like the I'm outstanding in my field. And I think I'm the only one standing in that field sometimes. <laughs> and what will you get? Woo! What did I do? What will you get when you stand in the field, Captain? You'll step in the what? <laughs> in a field, if you have cattle, prize cattle, will be loaded with what? Ejected. Oh, I've taught them to swear I'm such a bad guy. Oh, Mike and Mike. All right, let's go on. So he came out with a new book in which he says he doesn't believe that um, any of the books were pseudepigraphical or alonymical. Uh, and I, I really appreciate him saying that and clarifying that, except that he probably still holds a position that if you do believe in pseudepigraphy or alonymity, it's still in line with inerrancy. Um, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to skip that because I'm going to read. I've got to get to a place where I got to really shake the walls right now because I'm going to get done. I didn't get this at pre-trib. I got to do this. I am driven. Nope. <laughs> I don't think you'd call me that. I'm, uh, there are names that I would be called, but that ain't one of them. Anyway, um, what's going to be the impact on preachers? Come on. Response to the early church was unanimous in rejecting any form of pseudepigraphy. We have in the church fathers their carefulness. Get Constantine's Bible by David Laird Dungan, that unbroken chain. You can have full confidence in the Word of God. What you can't have confidence in 
are evangelical critical scholars. Trust God's word, but verify the evangelical critical scholar. Uh, you can look at that. Ellis from Southwestern uh, clearly showed that they didn't accept that. Um, let me, I'm going to skip that. Um, it, it, the ICBI doesn't support that. I'm going to skip that. ICBI on hermeneutics. We've had a problem with J.I. Packer because Michael Lycona wrote that it gave the impression that Packer was endorsing his book. According to Dr. Geisler, that is not true. So we'll skip that. We'll skip that. We'll skip that because I don't have much time. Uh, you, did you take your journey? Captain's got the no smoking and seatbelt sign. You're going to need that. Um, Sproul will tell you that none of this com is conforming to uh, ICBI. I don't even know what the term inerrancy means. When you do this, I believe in inerrancy, but these positions can be held, can be uh, harmonized with I don't I don't know what to do with that. What does it mean now? And I'll tell you what they're doing. It's my personal opinion, editorial. They're redefining the term inerrancy. They're doing it what the neo-orthodox used to do. Bart and all the Kierkegaardian existentials, which is a fancy term for, they'll believe anything just the way they want to believe. They're redefining it so when they go in and you want to hire. So when your new president of the school says, boy, he's from California, so I don't know if he'd say it like that. But boy, do you believe in inerrancy? And the guy's going to go, yes, I do. He better ask. What do you mean by that? Take him to Matthew 27 and ask if they can catch the signal there. If they see the signal, believe me, shock therapy, they put electrodes here and they turn out that we could correct that after a while. Anyway, let's go on. Daryl Bach has endorsed Blomberg's book, Chapter 4. I had Daryl as a professor. He wished he'd never have me as a student. Now they're searching for Jesus. If you can help them find him, this is what I wanted to get to. Because, you know, I can't. I have to get through this thing and I have to get here. After the Jesus crisis was written, by the way, that I understand through the grapevine that they went to Craigel and told Craigel, don't you ever write a book like this, you know, again. Don't publish this book. So listen to me. If you have a copy of the Jesus crisis, it contains stuff they don't want you to know. They went to the publisher and said, don't you dare ever. And I had the publisher, or at least the editor, tell me they would never allow a book like The Jesus Crisis again at Craigle. And they called up Dr. Thomas. Anybody know Dr. Thomas? And he told me he had to hold the phone out like this in the conversations from some of the men we, or at least one that we wrote about. They're looking for the historical Jesus. Listen to me. When you hear that term, reject it. There's no such thing as the historical Jesus. What that means is the Jesus of the Bible we can't accept, and it's a philosophical term driven by philosophy. If you had me do other things, which we don't have time, the whole system, there are over 330 different forms of historical Jesuses. You only know one. As a matter of fact, they call it a scholarly joke. They're looking for, why do, the liberals started this. But if you go to SBL and you want to be a prestigious scholar, what do you got to do? Ah, Paul, you want a cracker? Ah, what do you do? You got to parrot this stuff. But you can't parrot it completely like SBL because if you do, there may be a seminary president that will, what? So they modify it because they, were stu they studied in Britain and... In, that, in a conversation I had with Daryl, he says, I find, he told me personally that uh, there was no witnesses, just me in his office. I find every place I can to agree with the liberal. They're the only ones doing good critical work. And my response was, I'm in a lot of trouble right now. I just kept my mouth shut. I still remember, I, you ever been in one of those, you, you come to a church and all the chairs they have are those little kid chairs? I felt like that in that office. I was just sitting there going, oh Lord, what am I going to do? And my wife said, you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> And I did. And I acted like the doofus I am. So they're looking for, can you help them find it? And here they are. These are the elite. See the guy in the blue? Isn't that Craig Evans that used to go to church with you, Sandy? That's Craig. They used to go to this Foothill Baptist. She married the fundamentalist, Craig. I thought that when I heard that, 
she, I told that name to her. She says, that name's, oh, he went to church with me at Foothill Baptist. So we know each other through a person, but I'm just a, what is that naive conservative? That Remember that quote that we gave on that? There they are. They're trying to find, can you help them find Jesus? Now, here's what I would do. Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's the real Jesus. But I didn't go to Oxford, Aberdeen, Cambridge, and I'm a junkyard dog, and I'm a simplistic, knee-jerk, fundamentalist. I feel like these guys, I should wear the Billy Bob teeth. How y'all doing, you know? That's what they think of me. Matter of fact, if you said they wouldn't spit on the best part of me, they would say, he doesn't That's part. I'm not going to waste the spit. So here's what they're now saying. They're into postmodernistic historiography. There are over 330 historical Jesuses that everybody has found. Why? They don't like the Jesus of the Gospels. The only Jesus that saves of the Gospels. And by the way, do you think the liberals, if you give them uh, the Jesus, uh, you know, they want what they're trying to do, I think, is prove that the Jesus of the Gospels is the historical Jesus. Somehow in this, in my opinion, they're thinking, but they'll, the liberals will never accept that. So, um, uh, so there's no certainty. So they say the best we could say is that there are 12 events that we can use criteria of authenticity that probably might have happened. Now, imagine an altar call preacher. When I grew up as a kid, they had altar calls. Remember that? We'll go for the, la- for the last 40th uh, verse of that song. If no one comes forward, we'll quit. That was my, my grandmother would get up and she'd wave a handkerchief. I was just a little kid. She'd get blessed and I'd slink down into the seat. That's my tradition that I come from. So, you know, um, I'm crazy. Um, every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around. Uh, I've applied criteria of authenticity. Same criteria that the liberals apply to prove that Jesus didn't exist, but I've made it show that he did. And he might have been resurrected from the dead. Probably. Can't say certainty. But he might have. Probably. I believe that by faith, I believe that, but can't prove it. Come forward. Be blessed by Jesus and receive salvation. That's the kind of preachers I was raised on. What's that going to do when we tell our men? And by the way, at Dallas, look at their catalog. If you're a New Testament man, being a New Testament man, some of the searching for Jesus classes are required. We want to teach you how to find Jesus. The last time I looked at the catalog, there it was, required class. The one in the doctoral was not required, but... It was searching, all the things about searching for Jesus, got to find him, just open up your Bible. But I'm not a world-class scholar. I'm a junkyard dog. And I don't even know, I think I've insulted junkyard dogs when I say that. (laughs) Robert Webb says this, given the nature of historiography and the manner in which the criteria of authenticity function, one must realize that judgments of authenticity or historicity are matters of greater or lesser probability. So they go to the Bible and say, the best we can say about the history of the Bible is, probably happened. Probably. Which implies what? It might not have. Um, Occasionally you could use virtual certainty. You know how the Jesus seminar, red, pink, gray, and black? Remember that? Well, these guys don't do that. They apply... Degrees of probability. Probably happened, possibly happened, can't, we can't prove it at all. But he'll say to you, we're using now, we're using this against the liberals. But in nowhere in that book do I see that this is an evidential apologetic against them. In my opinion, they bought wholesale into some of this thinking. Teach your students. Teach your students. It probably happened. But the same criteria of authenticity that they use, the liberals take in jujitsu and can say, are you kidding? I have the same criteria. It didn't happen. And guess who loses when you do that? Guess what loses when you do that? The Bible. Because students think that their professor, the best they can say about the Bible is that it probably happened. But some people don't know that the, the term historical Jesus is a assault 
on the Jesus of the Bible. It's a philosophical concept. It doesn't mean that they don't mean by this that Jesus existed in history. They mean they don't like the biblical Jesus because Jesus said this if they hate me, they will hate what? Get used to it. And I'll tell you something, they're going to hate us more. Welcome to my world. Anyway, we have in the Bible footprints of Jesus, Christianity today. Well, what do you see? Go down to Galveston. Next time you're down there dodging the great white sharks, swimming. Look at a footprint and tell me everything you know about the individual. Now, some of you guys may be good forensic scientists to get there, but what, you know? Um, he insists that the historical Jesus studies push people to appreciate that even if the gist of the gospel story is right, then they must think through who Jesus is. Listen to me, if you were an unsaved man and I told you the gist of what Jesus said is right, is that going to propel you toward the gospel? Tell me. I kept reading that going, how does that do that? Heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said. But the gist of what I say, all you have to do is put that back into the words of Scripture. The spirit of truth can do no better than Thucydides, Plutarch lives, and the gist. Do you serve a God like that? God's superintendents, he bore them along. They say this in this book, Webb does. All history is interpretation. They got, I'm writing something. They got that from Nietzsche and Heidegger. Well, that's where it comes from. And the existentialist. History like the Gospels must be examined for the surviving traces. ST he calls it. There are surviving traces in the Gospels of Jesus' life. We have to determine where the surviving traces are. And they do that by what they call this criteria of authenticity. If I had another hour, I could make a real comedy act out of criteria of authenticity. But I'm risking it now. Trust me. Uh, just make sure that someone's standing out by Roger's car in case we have to use mirrors now to look underneath to see what's going on. You have to use criteria of authenticity. So we have surviving traces, ST. And those are in the Gospels, but we have to see where the surviving traces are and the interpretation of the Gospels is. And we have to cut through that to find out, he says, what could have or should have happened. We have no real knowledge of the events, but has an idea of what could have or should have happened. Because, let me ask, when they write, a, when they write in the Gospels, they're given their spin, aren't they? <laughs> You're quiet. Is this surprising you? Okay. For Webb, the term history should be reserved for a later historian's narrative account. History as a narrative involves interpretation, so they have to cut through the interpretation to figure out what happened. They found uh, 12 events that they can say probably happened. They almost could use virtual certainty for it. Almost. That's why I want the Billy Bob teeth, because here is what they say. Um, this book will not likely be understood by some. That's Daryl's way of saying that Dave Farnell is an ignorant lout. This is where I wear the Billy Bob teeth. We are sophisticated, I believe, is the thinking, and you're too stupid to see what we're trying to accomplish. <laughs> Call me names. I don't care. Call me names. Tell me that I don't understand the way you do. I am not as smart as he is. I am not... A, I didn't go to Aberdeen and study under I. Howard Marshall. He's 10,000 times smarter than I am. So maybe it is that I should wear Billy Bob teeth. Why insult the Billy Bobs? You know, I'm worse than they are. Uh, he talks about core events in the Bible. That's the events that they can prove, with, I guess, with criteria of authenticity. What are you going to do when you start teaching p kids in seminaries that they've got to search for Jesus, the historical Jesus, and then we use that to try to prove that the Jesus of the Bible was the historical Jesus, but they won't accept the historical Jesus or the Jesus of the Bible being the historical Jesus because the historical Jesus is a Jesus they want to see because they don't like the Jesus of the Bible. Now tell me, I don't know how that works, but I've, I, took, I love Coke with the aspartame and it's probably affecting me after all these years. Uh, here is the response of SBL which I thought I liked. Robert Miller told these guys that wrote, two guys that wrote the book, that 
Arguments on the historical Jesus can be productive only among those who already agree on a number of contested questions. Therefore, debates about the historical Jesus that occur between the evangelical camp, Webb, Bach, and others, and the traditional camp, which sees the gospel of blends of fact and fiction, are futile. What they're saying is all of that effort in a book like this, this thick, and the SBL scholar said, you convinced no one. Who suffers under this? Look, you and I, at least I hope that you will not accept this, a historical Jesus. So here's what happens. This is this middle ground that I really hate. Here is doofus me. I accept the Jesus of the Bible. That's who saves. Here are the liberals that don't accept any Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that the Gospels write about, and here are these evangelical critical scholars in the middle. Now imagine some of you with open carry, because these two ends are going to turn and do what? Fire. And it's like Eldon Ladd. George Eldon Ladd got into the same position. He wanted to be accepted by the elites, but because he couldn't fold completely to what the elites thought and wouldn't go over to the fundamentalists, they're in this middle ground. And they've, they've proven nothing to this group or this group, but they sure have a fun time with each other. And they talk about the uh, barbecue and the um, cookies that they ate while they were trying to find Jesus. It's in the book. What a great thing, looking for Jesus and eating barbecue or whatever, Brazilian barbecue, whatever it was, and trying to find Jesus. What do good scholars do? Once again, they are 10,000 times smarter than I am, and please just attribute this to the fact that I'm not very swift, and I just don't figure this out, and I'm still trying. So, what's the bottom line here? Well, if you find the historical Jesus, let me know. Trusts in God's word now are down to probabilities because of postmodernist historiography. The Gospels are the ones that lose in this, in my personal opinion. Because all you're doing is telling seminary students there's a subtle psychological operation. I think, I would think if I was a seminary student attending, I can't trust God's word. See, Jesus said this, Woe well, unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you bunch of hypocrites, you travel on land and sea, and when you make a disciple, you make him twice as much a son of what? He used the word Gehenna. I can teach you how to say those things to the pulpit preachers and you'll never get in trouble. Son of Gehenna! Listen, you don't know the influence that preachers have on people and teachers have. And I don't want to stand before God personally and say that I destroyed the faith of a seminary student. Now, they'd say they don't do that, of course, uh, and I hope not. Uh, a completely unnecessary evangelical surrender to hostile presuppositions is ongoing. Hostile, hostile think. Gospels are defamed and undermined with this skeptical approach. And it's all circular. And by the way, when you go to Vegas, I used to pastor a garb church where about once every three months, some of the people disappeared. And I found out later that they were going from L.A. to Vegas, baby. And they were gambling. Anyway, um, who wins when you gamble? And you play by the rules of the liberals? And if they modify it, the liber which they do modify these rules, the liberals will never accept their modification. Neither will the fundamentalists. So who's winning here? No one. Loser will always be the Gospels. So now here's the state of evangelical. I don't mean to be negative. I'm sorry. But I've got to be honest. Probability. Criteria of authenticity. Heaven and earth will not pass away. Uh, but the gist of my words, uh, heaven and earth will pass away, excuse me, but the gist of my words, gospels are footprints. Inerrancy now, the Bible is inerrant so long as you realize that it's filled with errors and contradictions because they didn't care about those things, those ancients, you know? And we can, you can look through that when you want. It's a thought, denial by doubt. G, uh, Peter said that false apostate and false disciple of Gundry, a little bit of facetiousness there, Peter said this, that if you turn away from the Jesus of the Gospels, you turn aside the what? Myth. There's the real myth. Turn aside. What the impact? Um, same thing with, well, here, I have an idea for our critical evangelical scholars. How about the possibility study Bible? 
what we'll do is we'll have them say probability, possibility, can't prove it, shades of gray, and they can produce a... So everybody be carrying around the possibility study Bible. How do you like that? And then when they can't prove it, it'd just be the words without any shading of gray, darker or lighter shades of gray. What do you think? Or how about this, a study Bible, like the old magic slate. You write down what you want and rip it up. I changed my mind. I find some other criteria that I can use. How about that? What's going to happen to your preacher boys? We've done that. We've done that. D.A. Carson, let me just make everybody mad at me. There is more ambiguity in the interpretation of these chapters. He's talking about Genesis 1 through 3. Then some Christians recognize, I hold that the Genesis account is a mixed genre that feels like history and really does give us some historical particulars. At the same time, it is full of demonstrable symbolism. How dare you see 24 solar days? That's symbolic. You didn't catch the signal. You weren't educated at Cambridge. I'll go through there. I'll go through there. I'll go through there. Okay, I'll go through there. Um... You know what? If you really, these guys like to be on the cutting edge. Here's the cutting edge now. Everybody rejects on the cutting edge. They, they reject evolution. So don't interpret anything now in the Bible as evolution, like the JEPD theory or the Gospels of Osolate. Go with this. This is the cutting edge of geneticists. Aliens wrote your DNA. I'm telling you, I'm on the cutting edge. Prometheus came out. Anybody see that crazy movie? They're coming out with the second one this summer, and I will be there. Look at that. And they get to the planet where the people that look like us made us, the aliens. And boy, is it a fun movie from what I've heard. And I'll be there like that. So if you're going to do, why don't we go to Genesis 1 and say it's symbolic of aliens that made us. Why, you want to be on the cutting edge, evangelical critical scholars? Let's go for the aliens. Let's do it big. Huh? Space brothers. There's the cutting edge. How scholarly I am! They visit me every night. <laughs> Reptilians. Boy, do I read that on the internet, Bar. I listen to... I, I, by the way, you ever heard of Coast to Coast? I, we got invited there because one of my students works for the sound team and I got to go in and meet... I have pictures of me meeting George Norrie. And I listen at night and hear about all of that. See, I'm crazy. It was fun. Uh, please read the Jesus Christ. By the way, go through just chapter, what is the Jesus Christ? It's just the introduction. The Sermon on the Mount, many of them now think it was made up. There was no sermon. They just made it into a sermon. Um, but I got to get to someone. Um, I don't know how much time I have. Okay. Um, that's enough for me to do a lot of damage. Which way, evangelicals? Give me 10 minutes and I'll take a mile. Which way? We need 300. Can you be one of the three? Listen to me. Leonidas had to stop almost a million Persians. Let me tell you something. The critical evangelical scholars have a lock now on seminaries. It's over. I respect them because they're so intelligent. They know what they're doing. They've got the lock on seminaries. I symbolically, since it's a matter of genre, isn't it? Literary genre. I interpret them as the Persian hordes in my symbolic genre and some of the people that are left that still will hold to the plain simple sense of God's word are the Spartans and Leonidas and the only way we're going to stop them is hold them at the hot gates that narrow passage until we can raise up enough men of God like Gideon and Samson who by faith by the way let me give you a aside. How many of you think Samson had muscles? No. I believe Samson would look like Barney Fife. <laughs> you know what the difference was? When God's Spirit came upon Samson, he could take and just became mighty. I don't think... You see, if God gave muscles to Samson, then Samson could trust in his muscles. So God delights in taking idiots like me and muckracking. So anyway, uh, we need 300. There it is. We're holding them at the hot gates. They're winning. All right, let's go here. Let's go here. One last thing. Uh, as the seminaries go, so go to the churches. One last thing. Andy Stan, I got to hit this before I conclude. Um, Andy, Andy, Andy. Andy said 
to the new generation, you cannot say the Bible says it. They won't accept it. So let me give you the short sheet of what Andy, I think, is saying. Uh, the Bible won't convince anybody, but I, as a preacher, can convince people. Now, Andy, 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 I read my Bible, and it says, faith comes by, and hearing by Andy Stanley. See, all you have to do is apply some of these verses and put fill in the blank and you begin to see that something's not measuring up. And Andy, 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 are you telling me that God's Word and God's Spirit can't overcome a depraved human heart? Now, we're all responsible to believe, don't get me wrong. But God said, if you preach my Word, preacher, and you be faithful... All he asks us to do, it says in 1 Corinthians that we preach a foolish message to a bunch of people who are going to say, you idiots. And God said, God's Spirit will work through a faithful man or woman who just simply offers the power of God's Word. The Word of God will never fail you. And its power is amazing. Jesus spoke the word, spoke this world into existence. This is an extension. The Bible is an extension of his word as the word. Andy, Andy, Andy. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. Well, they had the Old Testament, Andy. That's what they used until the New Testament was formed. So Jesus said this. Where is it? If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, what? They won't believe that I rose. So guess what they had to convince people? Well, Andy wasn't there. They had the Bible, the Old Testament. We believe Jesus rose from the dead not because the Bible says so. It's a better way than that. It's because Andy, I guess, says so. So you know what? What the impact of the pulpit and pew? And all I'll say is this. Let me get here. Please, don't commit preacher holotry. We've got scholar holotry going now. And we've got preacher holotry going now. And I know he means well. I think most of these, if not all of them, mean well. But what is that? The road to hell is filled with what? Good intentions. Oh, you know that one, huh? Okay. Let's talk about the Evangelical Theological Society, which I have railed on. I don't even like to go there anymore. They won't accept my papers. Here's what I suggest they do. I suggest, now ETS, here's the qualification. I believe in inerrancy and we follow as a guide ICBI. Here is what I suggest they do. Here is what I suggest they do. By the way, somebody said at ETS, and I believe this, that in the present state of ETS, even Lucifer would be accepted as a member. (laughs) He'd come as an angel of light. I believe in inerrancy. But don't you dare fire people who say there are three Isaiahs. It can be squared with inerrancy. Um, Okay, here's what I suggest. Let ETS now merge with SBL. Because really, the differences between them are vastly shrinking. SBL is where all the elite, Harvard, Yale, Oxford, Cambridge, Every place that would have thrown me out when they saw me coming with the binoculars. Get him out of here. They should merge. Why not? Let's do the what I believe would be the forthright thing to do. Merge with it. Have a study group there by people who believe in, what do they call that? Inerrancy? What do they mean by that? Merge it. Forget ETS. It's gone in my personal opinion. You can go there. Um, The bird in the canary was Geisler. He withdrew. And honestly, uh, he's a very smart man. He saw it coming. He saw it coming. Merge. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great British preacher. Brit, 
It says in this book on the passionate preaching of Lloyd-Jones that he chose not to pursue a formal education due to the theological liberalism that infected British universities. Do you know when that was at the turn of the 20th century? What do you think they're in shape now? That's what Lawson said in that book. He wouldn't go there. Why? He knew it would flame out a preacher. You You guys that fly, you ever have an engine flame out on you? You ain't flying long, are you? At least I shouldn't think that because now I've got to fly home in the morning and I'm going to be thinking, I'm going to say, Danny says these things were made by God to fly. I'm going to keep telling myself as we go back in the seat and my wife looks at me going, oh, like that. Oh, let's see. Christian Soldier by Lloyd-Jones. There can be no doubt whatsoever that all the troubles in the church today are due to the departure from the authority of the Word of God. Um, We have all therefore have to face the ultimate and final question. Do we accept the Bible as the word of God, as the sole authority in all matters of faith and practice or do we not? And for him, that would have been everything, including how we view the world and our worldview. We're committing now, in my personal opinion, evangelical scholarolatry. By the way, it happened at the turn of the 20th century. A hundred years ago, they were writing the fundamentals. If you take and get the first original fundamentals, they gave it out free. You'll find that everything that they're, they'll use the word higher criticism. Today they use the word historical criticism, but it's the same thing. They talked about Germans and Brits destroying the evangelicals, denom- or the mainline denominations of America. And you could just take, take out Tory's name, put your name there and send it out again and it would be up to date for what's going on. You would? Scholarolatry. Okay, I am. Oh, I am finished. I'll ask questions. I did that in an hour. Even I'm dizzy from that. Dead air. Uh oh, the NSA is hacked. I was asking. I'll add our our new president. Yes, sir. Well, I just want to know uh, what you thought about the Net Bible. Um, I honestly haven't had much. I will only comment where I haven't had much experience with it. So honestly, I don't know. What, why do you ask that? So you know, you you can. I learn from people. My students have taught me more than I've learned from them, and you guys will teach me more than I. What, what's what do you think? I don't know. I've not looked into it. I'm too busy doing this kind of stuff. Okay. Well, just the. The two things I've studied, they don't take a, a rapture interpretation of John 14, 1 through 4. Mm-hmm. You know, in my father's house are many uh, dwelling places. That's not the rapture. That's the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Oh, I didn't know that. And then, you know, we as dispensationalists, you know, using uh, Harold Honer's chronological aspects of the life of Christ, believe that the 70 weeks you know, was very literally fulfilled, the first 69 in the triumphal entry. And they have a note in there that the messianic interpretation is impossible. So I did, you, yeah. you are teaching me. I did not know that. Yeah, take a look at Daniel 9 and John 14. I did not know that. Thank you for letting me know that. And if you could, if you remember to send me maybe a little email of things, uh, that would help me, and I'll put it on a slide and get further in trouble. Uh, they also have a number of a number of key passages. They clearly take a lordship debate, uh, lordship position, in First John chapter two, where it talks about uh, abiding. It says, you know, this is not the talking about the elitist position of those who think that some Christians abide in Christ and others don't. Um, number of other things. I had a whole list of things. I didn't things. know this, so if you'd send yeah. me, I'll take a look at this. They, and there's problems with their interpretation of Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Um, it, it just goes on and on. It, I, I recommend it because it highlights where the problems are on some translation, Does it, which alerts you to there may be a problem here. It doesn't mean you should follow their solution. But I just want you to know that sending me this stuff is like arming ISIS. So when you send me this stuff, remember that. Uh, <clears throat> what is happening like at Westminster Seminary and 
within the Reformed seminaries, are they infected just as badly, or they a little different? I, I, to be honest with you, Clint Eastwood, man's got to know his limitations. I don't, I can't answer that specifically. I will say that Westminster uh, and ends parted ways, but I don't know except my suspicion, generally without proof, is that we're among seminaries that are, we're probably in a lot of trouble. I deal with seminaries that I had contact with and the groups I work with. Because I, you know, otherwise, I don't know. Uh, I have limitations to how extent, but my guess would be it's like, have you ever seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the old black and white movie filmed in Pasadena? They put a pod underneath people. Okay, so this is the equivalent of going to Europe, and they put a pod underneath these guys. And the next thing they know, they wake up, and they're not the same guys again, and they're coming after everybody. You ever see that movie? So they're potting right now. That's what's going on. You put the pods underneath. And I used to, at Southeastern Bible College, used to, guys made me pods and we'd hide them in class. And then whoever had the pod underneath, we would have to doctrinally examine to make sure they weren't changing. I mean, I make, make a game out of it. Any questions? Okay, any questions over here? Did, you, did I not make something clear that you, you uh, everything... So if you could summarize for me, tell me, what you think now? Tell me. Don't forget what I think. What do you think about everything? You, you think you can call me an idiot? Tell me. I don't. I don't want you to say. You know, just tell me what you think of the circumstances now. Give me feedback on what you think about all these circumstances now. Which where are you at in terms of what you think? Our group of evangelicals. What state are we in? Tell me. What do you think? I want to be kind, I want to be, have a sense of humor, but um, how many of you, were you aware of some of these things? I would ask you this, don't give any money to any seminary that you haven't thoroughly vetted, because I know seminary presidents that will, that's not mentioned here, (laughs) that will tell you they believe in inerrancy. Wheaton says they do. But you're going to have to ask them, yeah, what do you mean by that? So, i sorry, I didn't mean to come to be negative. It's like this, in Ezekiel, it says, Ezekiel, I'm going to send you to people and you warn them. If you warn them, I won't hold it to your account if they don't obey. But if you don't warn them, you're guilty. And I know I'm not making myself popular and I can't get anything published anymore because all these guys have friends in the big publishing, Christian publishing. I wish all big Christian publishers would go out of business because the only ones that can... This kind of stuff would never be allowed to be written. And when I wrote The Jesus Crisis, Craigle now, from my understanding, was asked to rescind it. Anything else? Okay. I am fried. One, one. Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, Mark Mus-